0: Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit. So we encourage you to visit our website at www.ccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices.
1: So try to put yourself in his shoes if you would for a second and try to sympathize with a man that would be so desperate that he sees his best option is crawling into his enemy's camp. See, the man that he'd been fighting for and fighting under, King Saul, the one that he had risked his life for, when he went up against Goliath of Gath, this same king Saul now despises him so much so in his heart that he's twice taken up spear from where he sat and heaved it in David's direction, trying to pin him against the wall, all because of envy, all because there was this competitive spirit within Saul. And at the moment he heard that song being sung, Saul has slain his thousands, but David has slain his tens of thousands. In that moment, Saul's heart became bitter. Saul's heart became hardened, and he knew that God had removed his favor from Saul and placed his favor upon David. And so David now is forced to flee from this man whom he loves, This man that he's always looked up to and revered, his hero, if you will, he's forced to flee because now he's trying to take his life. And so he finds himself there in the city of Gath. Again, imagine how desperate you have to be. In order to flee the one you love, you go to the enemy's camp. And he goes into the city where Goliath hails from. And the people there in the city, they recognize him. And they say, Isn't this the same David? who slew Goliath, we saw him take up the sword and chop off Goliath's head and hold the head up for the battlefield to see. We were there when he heaved the rock that sank down into Goliath's forehead and we saw Goliath fall there on that battlefield. Is this not the same David that we saw in those miraculous feats? And now here's David in this city. And he hears them as they recognize who he is. And so he begins to play the madman. He begins to play the fool. He acts like he's insane. So they don't recognize who David is. He begins to foam at the mouth. And drool runs down his beard. And he's there at the city gates scratching like a dog at the city gates trying to get out. Clawing. Fingernail prints in the wood of the gate. And the king Of Gath looks at David and he says, Who is this? This is not David. This is just another madman, as if I needed more madmen, more insane people in my kingdom. Why did you bring this guy to me? And so David escapes from the city of Gath to continue fleeing from Saul. But it's in the midst of this narrative that David writes this psalm that Peter is going to quote this morning. If you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm chapter 34. Psalm chapter 34, it's right in the midst of his fleeing from Saul that David somehow finds the time to sit down and to pour out his heart onto paper. And this is what God has birthed in his heart. This is what he's feeling. This is what he's sensing. This is what he's desiring to share with even us today in the midst of that persecution. He has no place to call home. He's not welcomed amongst the Jews. He's not welcome amongst the Philistines. He has no place to call his home. Forced to flee and to live in caves, hiding for fear of his life. And yet he writes this. Look, pick it up in verse 8 with me of Psalm 34. He says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Even in the midst of that, David writes, taste and see the goodness of God. In the midst of your trial, in the midst of your persecution, in the midst of your heartache, stop. Just stop whatever it is you're doing. Come away with the Lord and taste and see his goodness. Blessed is the man who trusts in him. Verse nine. nine, oh, fear the Lord, you his saints. There is no want in those who fear him. The young lions, they lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. Come, you children, listen to me. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. Who is the man who desires life? And who is the man who loves many days that he may see good? It is he who keeps his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. The righteous, they cry out and the Lord hears and he delivers them out of all of their troubles. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart, and He saves such as have a contrite spirit. So, in the midst of that persecution, this is what David pens in the Psalms. And this is the psalm that now we're gonna see in 1 Peter chapter three that Peter is going to quote. Again, in context, we have to understand that Peter is writing this letter, this epistle to believers who are either in the moment right now currently as he writes suffering intense persecution or who are about to suffer intense persecution. Many of them are gonna lose their lives in Roman Colosseums as wild beasts would tear them limb from limb. Others will be forced to flee their homes and seek of refuge, just like David as he sought refuge in the caves of En Gedi, trying to flee from Saul. Many of these will leave their family behind. Families will be ripped in two because of the truth of the gospel. As people start living their faith out, persecution is going to come. And Peter's writing now to these believers who will suffer this persecution. And he says, I want you to remember what David wrote when he was suffering persecution. And today what we're doing is we're reading Peter as he references back to David. In essence, we're getting a glimpse into Peter's life, into Peter's heart, and we're seeing, maybe that week Peter had been reading in the Psalms Maybe God had been revealing truth to him in the Psalms, and he sees this truth. He sees how David, even in the midst of this persecution, he's saying, taste and see that God is good. God is watching you. His eyes are upon you. If you want to keep from a harm, just keep your tongue pure, keep your life pure. Stay in unity and in harmony. And he says, this is truth. These people that I'm writing to need to hear this. And so he quotes this text, this passage. We are seeing where Peter was reading, we're catching a glimpse of his devotional life. Isn't that amazing? And so today, we have the same privilege, the same opportunity that Peter had back 2,000 years ago, where we can come apart, we can come away from the chaos, the trouble, the persecution, the trials of our life, we can stop and say, God, I want to hear from you. I want to taste and see that you are good because you have a word for me and I want to share that word with others. That's what we have here before us. So as we're catching up with this context, you remember Peter's been writing to everyone. He's been saying, you need to submit to the government as difficult as that might be. You need to submit to your boss as difficult as that might be. Wives, you need to submit to your husbands as difficult as that might be. That's probably the hardest of all of them, right? Ladies, submitting to the husband. The government and the boss is easy, but it's the husband that's the issue. Husbands, honor and love your wives. These are the exhortations Peter's giving. In the midst of your being persecuted, you still have to maintain a testimony. You still have to live in harmony in the midst of of your community, in the midst of your culture. And so that's where we begin. Believers have to live in harmony in the midst of their culture. That's what it means to submit to the government. That's what it means to submit to your boss. That's what it means to submit within the the marriage covenant. You have to submit one with the other. So believers live in harmony. Now, read this with me. Verse 8 of 1 Peter chapter 3. I'll give you just a second to turn there because maybe you're not there yet. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. After speaking about submission to government and after speaking about submission to your boss or your profession, Peter says this. He says, finally. Now, just so you know, I, I think Peter would have done really well as a preacher in Christ Community Church because he's saying finally in the middle of chapter 3 and there's still two full chapters left to go right? Nobody says finally when you're only halfway through, but Peter did, and sometimes we do that. So he says, finally, all of you be of one mind, having compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tender-hearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing, For he who would love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So there's that quotation from Psalm 34. So as believers, if we're going to live in harmony in the midst of our culture, Right. The first thing that has to take place is there has to be unity in the midst of the body. Unity in the midst of the body. Did you see that there? He says, finally, you be of one mind. To be of one mind means to have the same goal. It means to have the same purpose. It means to actually have the same thought. Let that sink in just for a second. If we were all programmed in such a way that we would be, our hearts would be beating in unison, that our hearts would have the same burden for the lost as the next person. That our hearts would be saying, God, I want your heart. God, I want your mind. I want your thoughts. I want to think the way you think. I want to love the way that you love. He says, you be of one mind. You be in unity. Why? Why is unity so important? The first reason why unity is important is because unity pleases the Lord. Unity pleases the Lord. Let me read to you from Psalm 133, Psalm 133, it says this. It says, behold, how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. Behold how good and how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. Now, this text, if we just left it there, we wouldn't be certain that this was talking about it being pleasing to the Lord, that this pleases God when we dwell together in unity, when our hearts beat with one another's hearts. But when you follow that up, notice there, it says in verse two, it's like the precious oil on the head running down the beard of Aaron, running down the edge of his garments. It's like the dew of Hermon descending upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing life forevermore. So picture this if you will. David writes how pleasant it is for the brethren to dwell together in unity. This is what it's like. It's like the oil being emptied out upon the head of Aaron and it runs down his face and into his beard and it satiates and it soaks up his garments and it flows down to the edge of his garments and it empties out onto the floor around him. It's a beautiful picture because in the scripture the oil is a symbol of God's Holy Spirit. And so this text says it's a pleasant thing when the brethren dwell together in unity. We know that it pleases God because God rewards that by pouring out his spirit upon the church. And if you want to please the Lord in such a way that he begins to pour out his spirit, you have to dwell together in unity. And my friends, I'm not just speaking about the fact that we need to dwell together in unity here as a congregation. The global church needs to dwell together with unity. Our hearts have to beat like Jesus' heart. Not only that, but that's global. That's the big picture. Let's look at the small picture. Inside your home, husbands and wives, your hearts have to beat together in unity. It pleases God when you dwell together in your homes that way. When you have the same mind, when you have the same heart, when you see things the same way, when you have the same purpose and the same goal in life, which is to see this world change for Jesus' sake, God will honor that and he'll empty out his spirit upon you. Aaron was the high priest, and so the priest is a representative of God to man. He's to represent God in the face of the lost, and so the spirit is being poured out on Aaron, and that spirit is just completely soaking him up. Down his beard, the edge of his garments. I want to walk in God's spirit like that. I want to be so filled with God's spirit that I don't have anywhere else to soak anymore up, and so it's just spilling out of me. Our church should desire that, and if that's going to happen, if that's going to happen, it's going to happen because we come together and we have a like mind. We come together in unity, in unity. Now, not only is this important, this unity important because it pleases the Lord, but unity is important because it empowers the church. You see, there is a great, there's great power in the Holy Spirit being poured out upon the church. This church has no hope in effecting any change in our community if God's spirit is not poured out upon us. You realize that, don't you? It doesn't matter how gifted Pastor Walter might be. It doesn't matter how gifted I might be or any of the other pastors. It doesn't matter how gifted our community group leaders are. It doesn't matter how gifted our Sunday school teachers are. It doesn't matter any of that if God's spirit is not poured out upon those people who are ministering. That's where power comes from. I have nothing to give, nothing to give unless God is filling me so that I can pour out into you. And you have nothing to give unless God is pouring out his spirit onto you as well. This is what the scripture says, Luke 24, 49. This is Jesus speaking. He says this, he says, Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but wait, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. I'm going to send you the promise, the Holy Spirit, and you wait there. You wait until I pour out that Spirit, until you are endued. The word endued literally means to be dressed or to be clothed or to be robed in. That you would be clothed or robed in God's Spirit. Just like that oil being poured out on Aaron, that you would be, the Holy Spirit would be poured out on you. He tells those original disciples, those original apostles, he says, wait. Wait, don't do anything. Do not do a thing until I've sent the Holy Spirit upon you. My friends, if you're not confident that you are walking in the Spirit, you just need to stop until you are confident that you are walking in the Spirit. You cannot risk run the risk of living your life in the flesh because it will only lead to heartache and issues and trials and problems. You understand that, don't you? So when you come to a problem in life and you're not sure if I'm supposed to take this fork in the road or this fork in the road, just stop what you're doing and wait. Jesus said, wait until you have been endued from power that is upon high. Just wait until I pour out that spirit, and then you'll have the wisdom that you'll need. Then you'll have the tools that you'll need to make a decision that will honor and please the Lord. Just wait. There's no problem. There's no issue in life with sometimes just taking a step back and saying, God, I am not sure what to do here. And I don't want to take a step. I don't want to make a move until I'm positive that it's your spirit that is leading me in this decision and this choice. God will honor that, he will bless that, and God's spirit will show up if you seek that with all your heart, and you'll have assurance, and you'll have peace. So he says, wait there, wait for this power, the word power is dunamis in the Greek, it's a dynamic force, it's it's a miraculous, wondrous power that transcends human reason, there's no way to explain this kind of power except to say that it is God's spirit that is doing it. To have things happen in the church here where you take a step back and you say there's no other possible explanation for that having taken place in the midst of these people other than the fact that God was there and he moved. That's what we should desire to see. Nothing that we can muster in the flesh, nothing that we can do in and of ourselves that we can say, you know what, I'm gonna figure out in my own flesh and in my own ingenuity and with my own intellect how to manufacture some sort of move of God. No, I want a genuine, true, authentic move of God's spirit. One that there's no other explanation for than that, wow, God, your favor rests upon those people. God, your favor rests upon that household. God, your favor rests upon that married couple. God, your favor is resting upon that community of believers. It's a testimony to the world, don't you see? Jesus said this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And there's that same word power again, this dynamic force that is only explained as a movement of God, but he says when it has come upon you, that word upon, it's pie in the Greek and it literally means to have a marker set upon you so that when people look at you, they see something physically different about you, that there's like a mark that is upon you because God's spirit is upon you. That you don't look just like everyone else looks. That you don't make the same decisions everyone else makes. That you don't speak the same way everyone else speaks. That your life is marked by God's Spirit. I wonder, is our church marked by God's Spirit? Is your household marked by God's Spirit? Because I want to be marked by God's Spirit. I want people to look at me and say, there is something different about that person. And I can't explain it other than to say that it must be God because it can't be him. I want God to be glorified in my life, whatever I have to bring. I want God to be glorified as I empty myself and say, God, I'm just a vessel. That has to be our heart. That has to be our desire. So this unity, it empowers the church. So take a look. Turn with me to the book of Acts, if you will, for a moment. And we're gonna thumb through a few things because I wanted you to see what God can do What God can do when we as believers come together in unity. How powerful of a force God's spirit is when it rests upon the church who dwells together in unity. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 2. Remember, Jesus gave that promise. Wait until you're endued with the power from upon high. He says, wait until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The day of Pentecost, verse 1 of chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord and in one place. There it is. They were dwelling together with one accord in one place. They had one heartbeat. They had one mind. They had one purpose. And they were all seeking God, waiting for that promise to come. The promise of the Spirit to come. And as they did this, verse 2, suddenly there came the sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them, divided tongues as a fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together, and they were confused. They couldn't understand what was happening because everyone heard them speak in his own language and they were amazed and they marveled and said to one another look are not all of these who speak Galileans and how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born Parthians and Medes Elamites and those dwelling in Mesopotamia Judea Cappadocia Pontus and Asia Phygeria Pamphylia Egypt and parts of Libya, adjoining Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were all amazed and perplexed, saying, whatever could this mean? Others were mocking, said, they're full of new wine, they're drunk. God's Spirit fell upon this early church when they were gathered together of one accord and of one mind, and they all began to prophesy, to preach God's word in different tongues, and people heard God's word being preached in the tongue they understood, and it all makes sense, and God was glorified. And it happened when? When they were together of one accord in one place. God's (laughs) Spirit was poured out. And so what you read in the rest of chapter 2, in the middle of chapter 2, is Peter gets up and he boldly preaches. And he says, these men aren't drunk. This is what was prophesied in the book of Joel, that God would pour out his spirit in the latter days. This is what is happening right now. This is what you're seeing. God's word is coming to pass and God is moving in the midst of you this day. And so he preaches Jesus to them. He preaches a bold message in verse 36. Pick it up. Peter says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. That's pretty bold, isn't it? Everything that has happened, you need to understand that you're the one who crucified Jesus. That it was your sin that nailed him to a cross. It was because you cried out for a thief to be set free rather than the Son of God. And it was you who saw him nailed to that cross. It was your sin, it was my sin,
0: that nailed Jesus to the cross. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley, with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are gonna love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the ccciv.org website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.ccciv.org or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.